Great to see you guys. I'm glad to be back. I don't know when I was here last. Was it like eight months ago, 10 months ago, a year ago, something like that? Was anybody here when I was here last? Yeah? Okay. I hope I, hope I do okay. Uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. So if you have your Bible, why don't you turn there? Acts chapter 16. And being in Southern California is so nice because Oregon is breaking records for rain this year, which isn't great because everybody gets depressed. So coming here and seeing the sun and being with you guys is really encouraging to me. So thank you for inviting me. Thank you for having me tonight. Uh, And I'm glad to teach out of Acts chapter 16 for a number of reasons, one of which I'll tell you in a minute. Uh, Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here tonight. I pray for all of us, Lord, that we wouldn't just be here just because this is our normal routine and that's what we do. We go to church on Sunday, but I pray that we would be here to meet with you, God. I pray that you would speak to us and that whatever anyone is facing in here, whatever challenges, pain, difficulties, adversities, whatever it is, God, that people are facing here, I pray that you would speak to them. And as Lorenzo said, I pray that the words that we hear tonight from you wouldn't just be something that we relate to our life, but apply to our life. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. God, use me to encourage this church. And I pray that this church would be a light in this city to bring people to Jesus. Lord, if there's people here tonight that are on the fence that have been listening and hearing and considering who Jesus is, I pray that they would come to believe and follow Jesus tonight. We love you. We worship you. We thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Well, the first reason why this passage is really important to me, because when I was uh, 17 years old, I was in high school, I was kind of that jerk jock. Do you guys know those guys in high school? Uh, basketball player in my city, and I did pretty well in athletics, and I was a little arrogant, and that's kind of what my perception was, what people knew me, uh, uh, that's how they knew me, and when I was 17, going on 18, I got baptized at the church I started going to, didn't grow up in the church, believed in Jesus, kind of, you know, uh, stumbled through learning how to follow Jesus, being unchurched. Then I got baptized. Then I got really serious about serving Jesus. So my senior year of high school, I said to my friends who were Christians, I said, let's start a Bible study. We were a bunch of athletes. And they're like, okay, let's start a Bible study. Let's, let's make a difference on our campus. So we started a Bible study. We were getting ready the night before for our first Bible study. And I thought we would like kind of co-share all these guys. And they're like, no, you're teaching. It was your idea. So I'm like, I don't really know the Bible. I don't know what a commentary is, a Bible dictionary. I don't know how to study the Bible. And uh, I had been reading through the Bible, and this passage of Scripture really spoke to me because my childhood was full of really tragic, hard suffering. And uh, Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail, singing to God in the midst of their uh, adversity and suffering and struggles, this was a passage that really spoke to me. So Acts chapter 16, verse 25 on, it was my very first teaching. So I hope to do a better job than I did in high school. Are you guys ready? So uh, the first thing I want to talk to you about tonight, really just kind of painting a picture, is that 
Perspective is crucial when you're facing adversity. Perspective is crucial when you're facing adversity. Just think about the narrative here in Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas were spreading the good news of Jesus, the good news of the kingdom of God. And as they were spreading this message, they're in a city in the Roman Empire, uh, uh, Philippi, and uh, a slave girl who was demon-possessed, you know this, back to verse 16, she was following Paul, and I love the honesty of the Bible, and she kept saying, behind Paul, these are men of the servants of the Most High God uh, who proclaimed you the way of salvation. She said that over and over and over again, and she did that for many days, the Bible says, verse 18. And I love this honesty, Paul having become greatly annoyed. So if you're a person, you get really annoyed by people. Well, the Bible's pretty honest. So did Paul. Paul was really annoyed. And Paul knew in his spirit that this girl was demon possessed. So what did he do? He freed her. He freed her from her enslavement. He set her free. He commanded in the name of Jesus Christ that that demon come out of her. And she was free. Well, this posed a problem. She was being used for uh, monetary gain. And so she was not just enslaved to a demon, she was also enslaved to those who owned her, who were using her demon possession to uh, have a business in fortune telling. Their gain was now gone, so they cause an uproar. Uh, short story, Paul and Silas get thrown into prison. Not good, right? And that's where we pick up verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. So the narrative picks up in the middle of the night. These guys are in prison. And notice what they're doing. They're praying and singing to God in prison. This was after, verses 19 and 21, this was after being falsely accused. Notice verse 19. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, which were like modern-day judges, they said, these men are Jews. They are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us Romans to accept or practice. So they're falsely accused. Then, verse 22, they're singing and praising God after they're falsely accused and then after they're unjustly judged. Notice the judgment. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore their garments off and gave orders to beat them with rods. So they're unjustly judged. They're falsely accused. They're beaten with rods. Now, I just think of that. That doesn't sound good, does it? Like, they're, they're literally being beaten with rods. Then they were thrown into prison, verse 24. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So in the midst of that, being falsely accused and justly judged, beaten with rods, being thrown into prison, what are they doing? They're singing and praising God. Big picture, they're seeking God still. They've got adversity. They're on mission for Jesus. They're serving Jesus. They're doing things for Jesus, and yet... They're seeing adversity in the midst of that. They're doing good, but there's opposition. And yet they're still seeking God. They're praying. Obviously, they're praying about their situation. God, God, what's happening? 
we're, we're facing so much opposition everywhere we go for spreading the good news of Jesus. We, we feel like there's darkness all around us and opposition coming towards us. So what's happening, God? God, deliver us from this. Help us. Our, our bodies are aching in pain, and, and, and we know we have a mission, but this is difficult. This is hard. God, help us to keep spreading the good news and deliver us from all of our adversaries. They're singing to God. Can you imagine after being beaten with rods, thrown into prison, singing to God? That, that's like, God, who would do that? They're doing that. They're, they're singing. I won't sing for you because it's really bad. You guys have awesome musicians, but I won't do that. But they're singing to God. They're worshiping God in the midst of their adversity, in the midst of the pain from all the blows to their body, in the midst of their mental and emotional suffering, because anybody in their state would be facing mental and emotional suffering. They're singing to God. This, is, this reminds me of something that James says in James chapter 1. You can turn there if you want to. James chapter 1 says this, Count it all joy, my brothers. I taught on this last time I was here. When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James says there's joy in the midst of adversity. There's joy in the midst of trials. That joy isn't necessarily in the pain. It's not like, Paul and Silas are in prison. They're minimizing the pain. They're minimizing the adversity. They're like, oh, it doesn't matter. Our bodies have been beaten. We have all kinds of adversity in our life. Uh, no, he's not minimizing the pain. He's saying in the midst of the pain, in the midst of adversity, God is still doing something. So we can have joy in God even if there's not joy in our circumstance. God, pin God can be good and our circumstances can be bad. We can have bad circumstances and yet realize we have a good God. Three things that I want to share with you tonight about perspective in adversity. The first one is this. Write this down. When you face adversity, know that God is still with you. Think about this story. Think about this narrative. They're in prison. They faced all kinds of adversity, and yet they're connecting with God. They realize that God is still with them. God was with them when they were preaching Jesus in Philippi. God is with them in prison after being beaten and shackled in prison. A lot of us think adversity is a sign that God has departed from us. That's not true. Adversity is not a sign that God has departed from you. Think about this. We live in a fallen world where there is good and evil, light and darkness, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. When the light of Christ is shining through your life and you are advancing the mission of God on this earth, there will be adversity. The more you choose to say, you know what, I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm going to live for him on this earth and I'm going to advance his kingdom and I'm going to make a difference, you're going to feel adversity and opposition the more and more you allow Christ's light to shine through your life. This is not a time 
when you feel adversity for following Jesus and walking in the light and advancing the mission of God and the kingdom of God on this earth, this is not a time to throw in the towel. This is a time to keep seeking God and pressing onward. God was still with Joseph in prison, right? Remember that Old Testament story, Genesis? Joseph was unjustly judged, falsely accused. Uh, He was convicted of a crime he never committed. He was thrown into prison. God was still with him in prison. God was still with Moses when Moses took a million plus people out of Egypt into the promised land and they all turned against him, complained about him, turned against him. They were adversaries of him and yet he was their deliverer. God was still with Moses then. God was still with Jeremiah when Jeremiah for 40 years preached the message of God as a prophet of God and nobody listened to him. God was still with him and God is with you when you face adversity. Psalm chapter 23 says something remarkably important about perspective in adversity. Psalm 23, if you want to turn there, go ahead and do that. Psalm chapter 23. David is talking about how God is his shepherd. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though I'm facing adversity and opposition in my life, I will fear no evil. Here's why. For you are with me. God, you're with me. God is with you in the midst of your adversity. Keep serving Jesus. Keep pressing onward. Keep advancing the mission of God on this earth. Don't throw in the towel when things get hard or difficult or painful or you feel uh, adversity in your life. When God is using you, you should almost expect there to be adversity in your life. I know that's not exciting. I know you didn't want to hear that message, but it's reality. And sometimes reality helps us to deal with perspective when we're in it. And so Paul and Silas are there. You can turn back to Acts chapter 16. And they're singing hymns. They're praying to God. And then verse 25 says, and the prisoners were listening to them. That's really important. That should jump out to you. The prisoners were listening to them. Maybe for some of them, this was like a momentary distraction from the boredom of prison life. Sitting in their cell hour after hour after hour, like, what are these dudes doing? Like, This is crazy. We saw them bloodied. Their whole bodies were bloodied from all the beatings. And now they're praising God like, this is different. This is unique. Maybe some of them, it was midnight, right? So the middle of the night, usually people were asleep uh, by the time the sun went down in this time. Uh, Maybe some of them, they couldn't sleep. So they're like, well, if we can't sleep, we're just going to listen to these guys as they're praying to God and they're singing to God. One thing we know for sure God was working through Paul and Silas in the prison. God was working. In fact, the rest of this chapter portrays and pictures how God was working through them as they were in prison. Write this down, perspective and adversity. When you face adversity, know that God is still working through your life. Right? God is still with you and God is still working through you. Just like God was working through Paul and Silas in the most interesting of circumstances. They're in prison. They've been beaten. 
They're singing and praising God, and all the prisoners have their attention. They're listening in. Adversity is not a sign that God is stalling his work through your life. In fact, it's often the opposite. Adversity often is a sign that God is using your life and will continue to use your life, even though the opposition you feel and see around you feels weighty. We are too often tempted to give up, right? Just understand, like, we're humans. We get weary and tired and things are hard. Too often we want to give up. However, listen, perseverance is one of the foremost character traits of a Jesus follower. Every, almost every New Testament passage that talks about suffering, trials, adversity, any of those umbrella issues, almost every single one of those passages talks about perseverance being the most important characteristic of a Jesus follower in light of any hardship in your life. I would say for us in our generation, instead of cultivating an attitude of quitting and giving up, we need to cultivate an attitude of perseverance and pressing onward. It's too easy to give up. It's too easy to quit things and throw in the towel and say, I'm done with this. This doesn't fit my mold. This is too difficult. This is too hard. This is too painful. It's too easy to give up. In our generation, let's cultivate an attitude and a heart of perseverance. This is kind of the year of comebacks if you're into sports, right? Anybody into sports here? Anybody just kind of so-so fans? Okay, so I'm not going to hit a lot of you in this, but this is a, the year of co- uh, uh, comebacks in sports. Uh, Cleveland Cavaliers, anybody know LeBron James? It's pretty amazing, right? Dude is massive, and he's like a sprinter. He's like a freight train sprinter, and nobody can guard him. Well, his team was down three games to one in the NBA Finals. That's impossible odds. Nobody's come back three games to one. His team came back three games to one, won three in a row, won the NBA championship. Anybody know the Chicago Cubs? Pretty famous baseball team, right? Chicago Cubs. Anybody from Chicago? Yes. That's awesome. You love me right now. So the Chicago Cubs. The Chicago Cubs were down three to one to Cleveland Indians. And there's been this curse since 1908. They they believe it in baseball. Like they're cursed. And they came back from three games to one and won the World Series. Anybody know Tom Brady? Okay, one person. That's awesome. (laughs) This is great, guys. You guys are not sports fans here. Tom Brady, best football player probably in the history of the NFL. His team, he was going for his fifth 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 championship, Super Bowl, and uh, his team was down by 28 going into the second half. 28. Nobody's ever come back from that. He came back and won the Super Bowl. A setback is often an opportunity for a comeback. So you're like, man, this is too hard. I'm going to throw in the towel. But if you keep going, if you keep moving forward, LeBron James wasn't like, I'm going to quit. The Chicago Cubs were like, oh, it's over. History tells us we can't come back three to one. None of those teams were thinking that. They were pressing onward, and they saw the fruit of that. Because in this story, what Satan meant for evil God redeemed for good. But only because Paul and Silas kept moving forward, or kept moving forward, pardon me. 
They kept pressing onward. If they would have given up, they would have missed out on this opportunity that God would still use them even through the adversity that they were facing. Think of Jesus on the cross. Jesus went to the cross knowing what he was about to do, knowing the weight of it. He went to the cross. He died on the cross. He felt so much opposition and adversity, but the cross is the greatest example of opposition while simultaneously impacting the world. So some of us, we have a cross that we're bearing. We have some sort of adversity in our life, and God wants you to know, I'm still going to use you in the midst of this. Just like Jesus was on the cross and God at the same time that he was suffering and he faced adversity from humanity, at the same time God was using him to reach the world with the gospel because it's through the cross that we come to know and believe in Jesus. Paul talks about this later on. He, he thought about this very moment in time later on as he was ministering and serving and pastoring other churches. In fact, look with me at Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. If you have a Bible, why don't you turn there? In Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, Paul was thinking about this story, this instance, this narrative of his life. He says in verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what is happening to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole world in all my imprisonments throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest of my imprisonment is for Christ. It's for Christ. All the times that I faced adversity and imprisonment, God still used my life. He reflects on this later on again in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2. He says this, But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, it was popular, people knew about it, we had boldness in our God to declare you the gospel of God in the midst of such conflict. God used me. I, I kept moving forward and I persevered and I realized that God would use me even in the midst of my adversity. I just want you to listen to this verse. And if you, if you have something to write down, write something, write this down, whether it's your iPad or your phone or what, a notebook or whatever you do. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. This is encouragement to you guys. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Don't quit. Stay strong. Keep serving God, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. God is still using you you're in the midst of a difficult season, you might be feeling a lot of adversity around you, God is still using your life. Don't lose sight of that. Keep that in perspective. We'll move on, verse 26. First Corinthians, I mean, sorry, Acts chapter 16. And suddenly, so the guys are listening, they're singing and praying, and suddenly there was an earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. The doors became unlatched. The bonds were unfastened. Verse 27, when the jailer awoke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourselves for we are all 
here. As they're singing and people are listening, all of a sudden the earth starts shaking. And each of their doors are unlatched and their, what held them together, the chains are unfastened. And now everybody is free to escape. And so the jailer was sleeping and he woke up and he saw that everyone was free to escape. So he decided, you know what? I'm going to commit suicide. I'm going to kill myself. He saw that as a noble alternative to suffering at the hands of the Romans. Some of you ask, well, why would he think that? Because if you're a jailer in the Roman Empire and you let any of your prison, prisoners escape, you receive the same punishment that they were going to receive. So in this jail, there were guaranteed those who were going to be executed and tortured by the Romans, and the jailer knew, me killing myself is a better alternative to allowing the Roman Empire to torture me and execute me. But Paul's like, wait a minute, don't do that. We're all here. Nobody's escaped. You don't have to take your life. There's still hope for you. The Romans aren't going to kill you. God is at work in this prison. Uh, we are in charge. God has given us authority in this prison in the midst of what is taking place. There's still hope for you. Write this down. Perspective and adversity. When you think that there is no more hope in the face of adversity, know that God is still offering hope for you. Know that God is still offering hope for you. There was hope for the, uh, in the prison for Paul and Silas. There was hope in the prison for the jailer. In fact, verses 28 through 39, just elaborate and give us uh, more of an elucidated picture of the hope that God had for the prison, uh, for the, the prisoners and the jailer uh, because of Paul and Silas. There was hope for Jesus when he rose from the dead, right? When he went to the cross and rose from the dead, there was hope for him. Psalm 42, 5, listen to these words. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Why am, why am I depressed? Why am I so burdened by life and in despair from the darkness and adversity I feel around me? And then the Bible says, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation. Psalm 62, verse 5, for God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from God. Psalm 130, verse 5, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word, I hope. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 18, surely there is a future for your life, and your hope will not be cut off. Can I tell you something? You guys have awesome leaders. I know these guys. They're amazing. Love them. I... Uh, about five years into our church, I shared a little bit about this last time I was here, but not a lot. Uh, I was super burnt out. My wife was burnt out. We had planted a church that had grown super fast. And over a five-year period of time, it had taken a toll on us. We were really, really maxed, drained emotionally, physically, relationally, everything you can imagine. And so I took a, I took a sabbatical. And I took a sabbatical because ministry is unlike any other vocation in this world. The emotional toll it can take on you, the, the hours that you work, but the emotional toll that it can take on you, is, it's, it's unlike anything. And sometimes your soul is so empty 
and burdened and drained that you just need a time away to get refreshed and recharged. And that's what a sabbatical is. And a sabbatical is so good and so normal. I do not know a lead pastor that has not taken one. It's really healthy and really good because in the midst of taking a sabbatical, you begin to see hope and life in your soul again. And you begin to have fresh vision and passion and clarity for what God wants to do in and through your life. And if you're the lead pastor of a church, how God wants to use you in the next season of that church. And so when I went on sabbatical, it took me a month to feel like a human again. I was having all kinds of medical issues because I was on this fast train. I was, my body was running off of adrenaline, and so it started so much stress. It started to affect me physically and emotionally and relationally in every way, and it took me a month to feel human again. And then it took me a number of months after that to really gain fresh vision and hope and recharge and see my soul come back together and get strong for the next season of my life. And it was so good and so healthy for me. And I just want to say that to say, Casey's sabbatical is going to be so good for him. And it's a good thing. It's a normal thing. It's a healthy thing. And uh, our, our board and uh, our elders have asked me to take one every three years, but I've taken one in nine years. So I got to get better at taking these. But it, it, it's a healthy rhythm for a church. It's a good thing. And I want to encourage you that in the midst of a sabbatical, hope and life and a recharging of your soul and vision comes back, and it's really good. So better, you better watch out when Casey comes back. It's a good thing. It's a healthy thing. And I love your leaders here. They're amazing friends. They're great guys. You are in a very good church, and this is a church where people can find hope. So bring people. Invite your friends be on mission to reach people and and have them come here and hear about Jesus week in and week out because this is a church that believes in Jesus and wants to make disciples of Jesus. And that's exactly what Jesus commissioned his church to do. And by the way, these guys didn't tell me to say this. This is from my heart to you guys. As an outsider who knows your pastor's pretty well and loves them and cares for them and prays for your church and wants to see you guys do amazing things on the west side of Los Angeles. You guys live in an awesome place. I'm kind of jealous, by the way. Um, But this is an amazing church, and I just want to encourage you in that. God is a God of hope, and when we feel like we're in a hopeless situation, God is always offering hope into our hearts and our lives. In fact, in the book of Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. I want to read this to you because it's so pertinent. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. You keep pressing on. And endurance produces character. Character's built. And character produces hope. It goes from endurance to character to hope. And hope does not put us to shame Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Hope never puts us to shame because we have God's love in our hearts. We have God's Spirit who's been poured out in our hearts and he is infusing our souls with God's love, telling you and me, even when we feel hopeless, I love you. God speaks that into your soul. I faced a lot of adversity in my life and even this last season of my life with uh, so much Uh, physical 
adversity that my wife has faced with unreal medical issues, one after the other, after the other, God keeps saying, Wesley, keep going. Wesley, I love you. And we need those messages. We need those words from God in the midst of hopeless situations because they carry us on. They keep us going. And so I pray, if anything, that God would speak hope into your life if you've been facing adversity and you feel like you're in a hopeless situation. Check out how hopeful this situation and narrative, this story in the book of Acts is. Verse 28, but Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here. Verse 29, and the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? I've been listening to your prayers and listening to your songs. I fell asleep, but I heard them. I heard about the girl that you exercised the demon out of her. I heard about the message that you brought into our city. What must I do to be saved? If it weren't for their adversity, they would not have been able to proclaim the gospel to this man. Verse 31, and they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Believe in Jesus. That's the gospel. Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Romans chapter 5, verse 10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now we are reconciled, uh, now that we are reconciled, pardon me, shall we be saved by his life? The gospel is a simple message, believe on Jesus and you will be saved. So they preach that, they share this message they share with not only the jailer, but he invites him to his house. He shares with all of his family, verse 32, and they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in the house. So they explained it. They explained the gospel. They elucidated and, and talked about the background of Jesus, who he is and what he came to do and what he did on the cross, his resurrection from the grave. They all heard the message, verse 33. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds. Like, think about that. This was the jailer watching over them, ready to, for their punishment under the Roman Empire. Now he's washing their runes. What is this a picture of the fact that the gospel brings reconciliation on a human level? They were the enemies of Rome. Now the jailer who works for the Roman Empire is friends and he's washing the wounds of Paul and Silas. Not only that, but notice what Paul and Silas did, and he, bapt, and he was baptized at once, he and all of his family. All his family heard the gospel. They all believed in Jesus, and they were all baptized. You guys did baptisms, was it last weekend? Easter Sunday. We did them last weekend. Baptism is an amazing thing. It's a public declaration of Jesus Christ. It's an identification with his death, his burial, and his resurrection from the dead. It is, it is a way to honor the Lord with your heart by publicly declaring you are a Jesus follower and you believe in Jesus. Jesus commanded it, so it's an act of obedience. But when you're going into those waters and you're brought out of those waters, you're identifying with his death, burial, and resurrection, but you're also saying, this is the end of my old life and the beginning of my new life in Jesus Christ. 
That's what this family was experiencing. They're like, we met these guys through a crazy circumstance and now we believed in Jesus and we're being baptized and we're publicly doing it even though it could mean opposition for this jailer and his family. Verse 34, then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrate sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates, the judges have sent, sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. So he brought them back to the prison. He took them to his household, brought them back to the prison. Now the judges say, well, these guys, they shouldn't have been thrown in prison. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And do they now, now throw us out secretly? No, Paul says. Let them come themselves and take us out. You're like, what's up with that? Paul was doing something really important for the gospel in Philippi. Paul, who was a Roman citizen, was beaten by the Romans. That was illegal. In fact, these judges, if Paul put these judges on trial, they would be disposed of their authority forever. They would lose their well-being forever. So Paul's like, you bring them back to me. So they come back to Paul. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. Now they're trembling. They know what the uh, judicial process is for them now. They're on the hot seat. Verse 39, so they came and apologized to them. And the language here is over and over, they asked them to leave the city. They were implore, imploring them to leave the city because they knew that Paul and Silas could put them up on the hot seat and they could be judged for doing something illegal. Why did Paul and Silas do this? They did this because it was protecting the church from future adversity in the city. Paul and Silas were unjustly judged as Roman citizens, so now they're putting themselves on the line and saying, you unjustly judged us, so don't do this to anyone else in the city of Philippi who calls themselves a Jesus follower. He is standing up and defending the mission of Jesus in the public sphere in Philippi. Isn't that cool? Paul and Silas were brave. They were not cowardly in this situation. They were brave and they wanted to protect the church that was beginning to grow in Philippi. Verse 40, so they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. They didn't just leave the city after that. They're like, now we're going to do it on our own timing. So they went back to the church. They encouraged the church. They built the church up. Then they left the city when they felt like it was a good time to leave the city. Now the church has a sphere of protection so that the Roman authorities do not come after it and unjustly accuse them and throw them into prison. Incredible story. So the fact that Paul and Silas went through this adversity led in the end to the gospel being able to flourish in the city of Philippi all because of what they faced. Sometimes what we face for Jesus is not great, but when we get to see the end result and how God redeems it, it is a beautiful thing. 
Jesus didn't go to the cross because he was excited. Jesus was sweating drops of blood, anticipating the cross. But when Jesus looked back, Hebrews chapter 12, he saw the joy of all of us and all the souls in human history that would come and be a part of his family that he could forgive. God can redeem what Satan has meant for evil in your life. Amen?